0: Okay, and hello everybody, this is Maria Daniels here with Successfully Chaotic, live behind the scenes, and today I have Michael Stein here with me, and we're running a couple of minutes late, but that tends to be my jam, (laughs) so you know what, it's all about being successfully chaotic, right? So Michael, I'll have you go ahead and jump in and introduce yourself and tell everyone just a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Okay, uh, my name is Michael Stein, I'm an entrepreneur, an actor, filmmaker, a stand-up comedian, uh, I host a, a podcast called Long Shot Leaders, where we interview people that have overcome large obstacles to find success, and um, that's uh, basically my my intro. But uh, if you want, you, we can talk about uh, my origin story and uh, you know being successfully chaotic and all that stuff.
0: I would love that. I lo- I'm all about. You know the story. You know the story it 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 defines who we are, right? It's that journey that leads us to who we are, you know wh- what we do and our big purpose and our big why. So I would actually love if you would you know kind of share that with us.
1: I think so. Okay. So um I, I started this podcast uh, a few months ago because um, I said if I was really going to do a podcast, I'd probably do it on underdogs. Because I consider myself an underdog. So my, my background is my grandmother escaped the Russian concentration camps to, you know, on the way to America. My dad was a New York homeless street kid, became a multimillionaire, only to lose all again to a crazy lifestyle. And uh, he became homeless again. I was born premature, health issues. They didn't know what ADHD was or dyslexia or all these learning disabilities. I was putting a special call cool for special needs kids. Uh, um, I really didn't have any success as a young kid until you know i just made people laugh at me. That was my first bit of success. and then I um, really things changed for me when I, I saw the movie Rocky like most young boys. Um, I saw somebody who's kind of like myself who was you know not considered smart you know he was uh, considered uh, you know it was, a, it was a, he tried real hard but uh, and it was funny but um, you know he would always try real hard to get back up so I, I said that's somebody like me but the only difference between Rocky and myself is that he's physically fit. So I decided from then on I would make physical fitness my my cause celeb, and uh, some of my wins and successes when I started from there. So I I became a physical fitness trainer at 16 years old. I started stand up comedy when I was 19 years old. Uh, I started my first business the, the day after I graduated high school and failed miserably, but then I started a business six months later, um, and I became the number one nightclub promoter in Los Angeles at, for my age bracket. Uh, and then I decided, well, once you had those couple more successes, uh, I started acting, which was my first, you know, thing that I wanted to do. Uh, uh, my first role was playing Dirt Diggler in the Dirt Diggler story, which uh, became the movie Boogie Nights, which I appear in as well. And then I uh, I left my nightclub promotion business to become a filmmaker, like my friend who made Boogie Nights, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. And I said, I'm going to do it, too. So I started directing documentaries, uh, wrote and directed uh, an award-winning short film got acquired by HBO, and I um, made. I wanted to. I wrote several screenplays, and I got close to getting a big movie deal because of my short film, but it didn't turn over to a movie deal because it we went through development hell and just uh, missed that that uh, window. And I didn't want to wait anymore, so I said, "I'm just going to make my own movie in Hollywood, even though they won't let me." And the only problem was I was penniless and broke because I made all I became a filmmaker and I left my lucrative <laughs> business. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur again. So I started my own business which has nothing to do with the the, the movie industry. I was selling tarps cuz I, you know, it was a good item that everybody needed. So I built a business around that. Within 6 months I had enough money to make my movie. So I wrote, directed, produced and acted in a movie I titled Love Hollywood Style with Faye Dunaway, Academy Award winning actress, Faye Dunaway, Andy Dick, Colio, many other actors. And it did well. The film festivals were, it didn't make any money. And by the time it was done, it was such a runaway train. I said, you know what? I'm going to raise my two girls. You have seven, which is an amazing thing. <laughs> I, I have no excuse at this point. We're going to get into that. But I, I, my business, uh, I concentrated on expanding my business, which is, uh, you know, to this date has made over a hundred million dollars and continues to grow. And, uh, I started, my daughters are getting a little older, so I have more time, and I started a podcast to kind of tell stories kind of like mine, up and down, you know, but eventually finding success, and that's what I do.
0: First of all, wow, that's a lot. (laughs) That is a wild you know, ride of a story. And I, I love, I, I love stories like that. I mean, my story is like, I've never really been in acting or made a film or anything like that, but my story is like, like a lot of other people's too. So I love, I love hearing that kind of stuff. So let's kind of rewind back a little bit. I know you mentioned, you know, that you were an actor, you were a stand-up comedian, you know, some of these things are very much kind of in the spotlight. And um, for me, anything that's kind of like on the stage is more about kind of like absorbing the energy, you know, from other people. And, and then you kind of translate into, um, you know, doing something that's more tangible, like you said, selling tarps and all that kind of thing. Yeah. What was the, how was that transition? You know, because I know for me, I've done lots of different things and there's diff- been different purposes. And I'm assuming with selling tarps, that was more of a financial, you know, job and not, I really always dreamed of, you know, selling tarps. So was there a, you know, a point in time where you had to mentally make that transition as
1: well? See, I love it. These are the kind of questions I ask. I love love those questions. Um, So uh, I grew up with my dad. He was in uh, the tool business when I was uh, a kid. This is before he made a lot of his money. He was doing okay. Um, And he had a partner um, named Alan Smith called him Smitty. He, so they have this tool business. My dad, the tool business wasn't doing that well. So he went off to sell calculators where he made all his millions I talked about. Uh And so he sold the widget. He sold these calculators. They called him the calculator kid and in the mid seventies, early to mid seventies. And then uh, due to lavish lifestyle, he made so much money. He, you know, he blew it all crazy lifestyle. Um, and he went back to selling tools in the late seventies, but by the time he did it, he didn't have any money again. And that partner that he had, that guy named Alan Smith, he started a company called Harbor Freight, which I do owns like 400 stores across America as a huge company. So I saw the ebb and flow of like, you know, success and failure, but I always thought the success that I saw was somebody selling a widget. Although everything I wanted to do was not, you know, was being a nightclub promoter an actor Was something that's not tangible, but I grew up around that environment, knowing it well. I grew up around warehouse. I knew I knew commerce to sell a widget really well. And I think in the subconscious, you know, it was just like my DNA. And so, I always, you know, knew that. And also with the internet, my first thought was do something that was not selling a widget. But back in '99 or 2000, when I started it, they said everybody that was making money in the internet, you know. Is really selling something. They're selling like a product. So that's why I just picked something that you know was you know tangible like that. But um, you know, even even to my detriment, I tried to start that tool business when I was you know my my tutor at uh, my high school tutor said you know you should really do something with your hands because definitely acting you know you got to memorize lines and you have to like <laughs> you know and writing and filmmaking and all that. That's not you know and selling and owning a business. So she, she didn't see it, you know, and I thought maybe she's right. You know, maybe I, you know, after I failed, but um, that was a battle, you know, between wanting to be an artist, choosing opportunity over passion. Um, You know, it's a tough thing.
0: So do do you feel that you were almost kind of, I guess, with, with lifestyle, obviously money's a necessity. So do you feel that you were almost forced to make a decision to do something that you felt was not kind of your true path when you had to do that? Or do you feel that it became part of your path?
1: You know, I, I, you know, I really feel that, you know, there's, 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 there's leveraging, you know, when I wasn't, when I was just being an artist and being a comedian, you know, I would see the structure and the comfort and the finances of, you know, being owning a conventional business. And then when, you know, you you're attracted to, you know, when you eat carbs, you want protein, when you eat protein, you want carbs. So then when I would, you know, in the business, I'm like, oh now I now want to be back to being an artist. So that ebb and flow. So it's funny, when I started that business, that's when I really I made a bigger film because I had the money to do it. Mm-hmm. I started I had more, you know, so much more flexibility. Cause when I was an iClub promoter, I did more stand up when I started my widget business selling tarps than I did when I was an iClub promoter because just because inherently nightclub promotion is like the restaurant business. It's 24 yeah. seven. You're running for president without an education. You're meeting thousands of people and just telling them, you know, promoting an event or a club. So, um, that, that basically, you know, so I think that Andy Warhol said, you know, the, one of the greatest forms of art is business, you know, and he was a, he was a great artist. So I kind of like, you know, I kind of left that for a while. That's kind of like with a podcast and also now I'm, I'm directing a documentary about that crazy film we did. So I'm kind of like opening up the doors because, which I have no excuse. I only had two daughters, you know, but I said, I'm just going to spend time with them, (laughs) you know, and now they're getting to like 15 years old and 12 years old. And like, you know what, dad, we're good. We don't need you all the time. So what I have to ask you, you know, how old are your kids?
0: They range in age from 22 to four. Wow. So, and I have two granddaughters I have a two year old granddaughter and a one month old granddaughter. It's great so, you
1: look so great, you look so young so it's everybody it's says funny. that probably to you
0: <laughs> well, and it's really funny. you mentioned that you were kind of in the fitness world that I've got my longest history in the fitness world. I used to be a personal trainer I mean technically, you never not become a personal trainer. I just don't actively work as a trainer anymore, and I am an, an integrative nutritionist, so i have I'm very much in the wellness world still with nutrition and such but um, I also have a, a small organic farm and, you know, I teach soil conservation. And, you know, that's kind of like I always call my passion world. I love, you know, anything that's, you know, earth friendly and nutrition and, you know, all that stuff. That's kind of my my jam, my vibe. But then, you know, much like you were mentioning and the reason I was asking these questions about, you know, the Tart business and everything. I had had uh, four children with my first husband. So I've all seven children are mine, but four are from my first husband and three are from my second husband. So. I was working as a trainer, you know, at the time with, um, whenever I got, divorced. And so, you know, a, a trainer income is okay for a second income. It's not so good to raise four children by your cell phone. So I ended up having to make the decision at that time, which was a tangible decision. I didn't really get to sit and think, what does Maria want to dream of doing? It was more like, okay, well, how am I going to keep food on the table and the lights turned on? You know, so I ended up getting into marketing and taking classes in marketing, which I do own a marketing consulting business now. But at the time, I got into it not because I'd always dreamed of being a marketing. It was more like, oh, crap, what can I do that I can go take some classes in that I have the chance of making real money in? And I remember sitting there, I was doing – I did all my own marketing for my training business. I worked for several different gyms, and I remember thinking, well, I do this all the time for myself. I'm even helping the gym do it. Why don't I just do that for other people? So it was, it was not a Maria dreamed of doing it. It was more I had to make a decision. So that was the reason I asked those questions because I find – it's funny whenever I talk to people, and you know, a lot of times the things that ends up being things that are very, very good for them is something that maybe they didn't think at the time was, you know, a forever decision. I'm still involved in marketing, and that's I make more money in marketing than I do in the wellness, you know, industry still. But you know, it wasn't that I you know, dreamed of doing it, that that was my passion. I enjoy it now, but I think I enjoy it for the same reason I enjoy my nutrition is that I really love going in and helping people change their lives. It's not, you know, so for me, when you trace it back, I enjoy the same aspects of it. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, a little bit about why I was asked those questions. I'm just always very intrigued by stuff like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, now I get it. Okay. So I get it. So, so when I was a kid, my dad was known as the calculator kid, right? So, and he was, he looked like Elvis. I actually, that's a picture of the guy right there dressed in black. Oh, right yeah. there. He, he looks like, kind of like cross between De Niro and Elvis. And I said, I want to be the calculator kid one day, but I also wanted to be an actor and a comedian and all that. But I didn't want to, I was like Magic Johnson said he wanted to be a basketball player and an entrepreneur. I didn't want to give up those things. I wanted to do all, do all of them, you know? Yeah. ADHD. So yeah, but the ironic thing was, is that I became number one in my space as far as, you know, the number one TARP distributor in the United States online. Mm-hmm. And when a hurricane came around, they said, there, I, I bought up the entire country, you know, with like was Katrina, I think it was, or even a year before that, I bought up the entire country. And they said, you know, they, they, around all the rumors around all the suppliers around the United States, like they started calling me Hurricane Mike. And I was like, oh my God, I like kind of did what I wanted to do. You know, I was like, I, I've made some films, you know, I've done stand-up comedy and now I'm an entrepreneur and now I'm the calculator kid, but I'm not a calculator kid. I'm a hurricane Mike, you know? So I like, yeah. okay. So, cause I, when I, when I was doing stand-up or I was doing filmmaking, you know, trying to be a filmmaker and I didn't have the money, you know, I feel like it, like when you're, when you're a striving comedian, you had, you're at the mercy of like, can I get on at the comedy store or the laugh factory or the improv? It's like, you got enough money and you got and you're an entrepreneur mindset. I'm like, I just started producing some events and I had all my comedian friends. We were like, I was getting more bigger crowds than, you know, when I would Mm. do a night that I would depend upon at the comedy store. Likewise with filmmaking. I was like, no one's going to make my film. I'm like, screw it. The entrepreneur steps in and says, I can't stand this. You guys are the red tape and the slowness of this, you know? So you do that. So I guess there's no regret, you know, of course I always thought I'd like to thank the Academy. You know, that was like the first, you know, that wish, you know, but there's an ebb and flow. And then, you know, there's, there's opportunity, you know, Mike Rowe talks about there's opportunity and, and, um, and your passion and you really got to make some t- tough choices in the world because even if I was like, had like, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, career, I'd probably think to myself, yeah, yeah, I'd still want to be an entrepreneur. I have my, I, I don't think I'd solely want to be just an actor, you know, I, I no, guess, I that's, you know, so yeah, you know how it is. Cause you did that with your, with, you know, you had your, you wanted to do your, your life, your lifestyle brands, you know, that you, with um, the organic farming and all that. And then you mm-hmm. stepped into marketing, which just clicked. Right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think for me, and it sounds like you're a lot the same way, and most entrepreneurs that I speak with kind of have that same mindset is that even when you start a new project, a new brand, a new campaign, a new business, a new whatever, it's still an extension of who you are. It's just another piece because, you know, I'll, I've had people in the past, I own several businesses at this point, we're actually opening a coffee shop cafe right now. They're out there, out there working on it right now. So, you know, people go, why do you do so many different things? And, but again, to me, it's not so many different things. It's more that if you trace it back, it's got my same core purpose of, you know, being able to, you know, reach out to the community, tap into the community help others. It's got that same core purpose. And it's just another extension of kind of a piece of my personality that as an entrepreneur, I'm able to step into and push out. And, you know, it's funny that 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 one decision is that you, if you think of kind of that fork in the road question that people ask like if you if you, you know if you're at that fork in the road you had to go left or right one of my fork in the road questions for myself is that day that I sat there making you know the posters and stuff for my own marketing boot camp that I or my, my fitness boot camp that I had i up been deciding to go into marketing you know that was a a big you know day as far as like what the rest of my life was going to look like and I didn't realize it at that time but it's allowed me to be able to understand business understand marketing understand how people absorb you know you know experiences and information and allowed me to be able to make the, the money on that end on something that wasn't my dream to be able to push things that are so you know i that's what I hear when you're kind of explaining you know your tart business and you know all of that is as i kind of hear that same thing that even though it becomes a, a, a segment of your dream, a part of your dream, you know, it really helps to fuel the things that really are deeply your your passions. And I I mean, I, I love that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you you get it. You know, you get the, you know, because there's all these choices and entrepreneurs like, you know, it's hard because it sounds like you're you got the mindset like I do, you know, you're like, you can't just, you're not married to one thing, you know, mm-hmm. that would really frighten you. It's like, oh, I don't want to just do that, you know? Yeah. Scare me. yeah terrifying. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> yeah. it so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's it like only that. It's like even if Dan, like the Daniel Day-Lewis, which is like the ultimate for an actor, you know, because that's how he started off. But I was like, I don't know if that's all I would want, you know? Yeah. So so I think that, you know, what's interesting about um, sometimes, and you probably experience this, you try to create your you the, the business that is maybe not that first passion. You try to dump and 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 muddy it in a good way with you know what you you know like. So like with with the tarp business where you know it's been going on for so long, but I've seen what Yeti has done with the cooler. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like we all we've been we're planning next year to launch a product that hopefully will define this industry the same way that Yeti could define industry and it'll all be a vehicle to be more expressive and artistic rather than just a me too business. That's what they call it. And that when somebody yeah, sells a widget, it would be as a me too business, not the other me too. Yeah. I know you're saying. <laughs> yeah. For your
0: yeah. yeah, No, no, I, I get your resent, but yeah, it's good to clarify that. Cause we don't want We don't want any of that. <laughs>
1: right, right. We don't yeah. want
0: people going, excuse me. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I think that, so when are you pushing this aspect of the business out? Do you have a date in mind or?
1: Yeah, August of 2022 is the big Ooh, launch.
0: Okay, we're,
1: we're working from our date back, and uh, right now, product development with a, a firm that uh, that helps us do that. So
0: it's exciting. It's
1: uh, exciting, very exciting stuff. And at the same time, I'm I'm you know editing a, a documentary, so it's it's uh, and I'm doing I can't a podcast. doing that. Yeah, that?
0: I, I said I can't imagine um, like film. I've never been involved in film, so this is that's kind of a part of of Maria that like, other than like high school, <laughs> I've not done anything
1: like that. So. Yeah. You know, the editing is not as bad. You know, somebody just said, you know, uh, somebody went on the podcast and he's like, you know, like I need, like, I can't afford a great, you know, working director. He's like, but I would like to, I saw your films and I would like mm-hmm. for you to direct. And I was like, I love your story. I just, I just don't know how much bandwidth that would be like the old me would be like, sure. Let's just do it all. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's okay.
1: I don't think I have the bandwidth. It's crazy.
0: And, and I think you do get to that point, something you just said, that that in the past you would have been like, yeah, because that was me. And I don't know if it's because I'm older now and more exhausted. I don't even know what it is.
1: Smarter, or, or maybe. Smarter, yeah.
0: Smarter, but I still like doing lots of things. That's my personality, you know, it just is, you know, but I do have a hard rule that I only have a certain amount of, you know, working projects at a time because I know that I do have a limit and, you know, even though I, I'm, I'm high energy, I like to do lots of things. I also have, there's there's a breaking point for Maria that when I get past that point, it's all downhill and I just want to quit it all. And I've literally sat in my room with a glass of wine, the bottle right there by me going, I just said that, I don't want to do this anymore. Because at yeah. that point, I'm so overwhelmed and so stressed out because I want things done a certain way and I've not given myself enough time to do them, you know, that I end up in that kind of like overboard stage. And I know that. So I have to give myself, you know, kind of a limit. I put myself on a limit. I have to mother myself.
1: <laughs> so, so, let, let's segue in real quick, not not to ask you questions, but I, I have to, you know, just so <laughs> my curiosity is peaking me. We're going to have to have you on my show. So we, so... You have the seven kids. I know everybody talks yeah. about this. You, my wife has the two after the second one. She's like, no more. Do you yeah. have extra oxytocin going through your system
0: <laughs> So to help totally you get funny. through that system? It's, it's it's really really funny like people um automatically assume when they talk to them they hear seven kids they're like oh wow that's just a number you don't hear as much nowadays and they're like and then they, they you can see them kind of like want to ask a question i'm just going to ask because i already know what they're going to ask there's two questions i get asked every single time and number one they ask are you mormon and i'm like no not mormon number two are you catholic no i'm not catholic
1: that's so crazy. and then you Wait, can see them really trying is, to, i would never think do. Of that.
0: yeah so <laughs> are you mormon or are you catholic because apparently they just have a little kit. So I'm like, no, I'm not either. So um, it's just, it's really funny. I never, I never on having seven kids there was never a day actually funny enough i'm the oldest of four kids and my mom used to babysit so there was always like eight kids at my house at all times so i used to say i am not having kids i am not having kids because there was just kids everywhere all the time and it's really funny how life kind of works <laughs> works mm-hmm. um you know i ended up having my first couple like well actually my, my first first three were boom 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 but by the, by the time i had my third um, my oldest was three and my second was two. So they were three, two newborn. And I thought I was going to lose my mind. Like, I actually thought I was going to lose my mind. My ex husband, who was my husband at the time, would come home and I'd just be sitting in the middle of the living room floor, toys all over the place. And I was nursing the newborns. So I'm sitting there with a the baby on my boob and I'd just be crying. I'm like, I can't do this. I just can't do this. You know? It was just like, you know, if, if there were some hard moments. And then. I ended up having the fourth and I thought I was done you know I ended up divorced I'm like I'm done four kids is a lot you know I came from four four I'm done well then I got remarried and that's where it first started again so my husband was like I really feel like you know your kids are my kids he said but I've never got to experience it you know from pregnancy to birth and I'm just like you know and that was literally the 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 conversation and I was like all right one more, like like one more. Well, then one more turned into oops. And then we had the second one. And then I ended up with another oops. and so we lost that baby. So I lost a baby in 2015. And I could not forget about that. I just, it made me just start wanting another child. And so it was actually me that said, okay, I don't even know if I can still have kids anymore at this point, because I was getting older. And I was like, but let's try to have one more. So we had the now four-year-old. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm just completely done. I feel like our family is completely full. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? But, you know, the holidays I, are great. it is great. And, and there's great times and there's terrible times like every other part of life. But, right. you know, that's what makes, you know, life a journey, you know, and I always kind of equate it. You're in the films. So I always equate equated to a movie. If you watch a movie where everything's like perfect and there's no, you know, ups and downs. I mean, you're not going to sit there very long. That's boring. And I would get bored
1: yeah so, so, let's talk about that. So, when you write a screenplay, you know the first one, it's really, you know, your your tongues sticking out, It's unconscious incompetence. You're just trying to you know learn the structure and everything. The second screenplay is easier than the third one, but they're they're always brutal. So, you know, did you find that with pregnancies? Because it takes about nine months for me to write a screenplay,
0: yeah, well, it's <laughs> I am not a happy, glowing, pregnant person. I know people assume because I had so many that I just love. Yeah. To be, no, I hate being pregnant. Hate with a capital H, hate being pregnant. I am swollen and grouchy. And I'm like, don't look at me. You, If you can find a picture out there of me pregnant, it's because somebody just like snuck and took it. Because I'm like, stay away from me with that camera. I was like, I just felt like, you know, and it was. I was not happy, glowing. But, you know, you do get used to, you know what to expect. There's not a big question mark on what's going to happen obviously so it just but it was more just kind of like here we go again you know it's kind of like uh, the dreaded thing when you're going to show up and you to go do something you really don't want to do but you have to go do it that was kind of how I you know approached it which I have friends who absolutely love being pregnant I'm a firm believer that they need therapy but they love uh, being pregnant but I was not that person so I mean I guess it would be like yeah I knew what to expect I knew what to do obviously but it was uh
1: I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. My wife, she's always talking about. I was like, you know, oh my god, and talking about how, you know, and no. and I and I, you know, I almost do like the, not Catherine, is it Catherine Heigl, the the one from Saturday Night Live, um, the actress that was uh she played the villain in uh, Wonder Woman. She's a great, funny actress. Um, she, you know, I was I'm like. I, I get this attitude as a joke. I'm like, yeah, that was so long ago. It was like you still. It's like that was like a long time ago. It was, <laughs> that was like year. That was like you know, 15 years ago. The last one was like 12. You're milking it. Yeah, uh, it, it was so long. No,
0: she gets to milk it forever. I, I'm a firm believer in that. I don't. I'm just
1: joking. I, <laughs> forever, I don't mean forever. that really. You know, oh, I know. Forever. Character. No, it's, I, it's brutal. I,
0: <laughs> I've i added up, this is how far I've gone. I've added up how long I was pregnant and it was over five years of my life. And I've also added up how long I nursed. So I nursed all my kids, but five of them nursed for two years and two of them nursed for one year. They just decided to wean themselves. I was dead set. I was going to nurse for two years, but two of them was like, screw you. We're going to do what we want to do. So, um, it, so that, add that up times. So that's, that is, so five kids, um, for two years and that's two kids for one year. So for 12 years of my life, I have, was breastfeeding And I, I don't even know how I have boobs anymore. Like I'm serious Like I don't know how they just still have them and I've said that like I've joked around and said that and um, I, I don't I don't know how it's kind of a miracle actually um, But and then my wife wasn't able years, to,
1: was the baby wouldn't take the breastfeeding she,
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people. I was really lucky on that. I really was her
1: heart in the beginning and she's like oh screw it what i can well
0: you know what you know i'm glad that i got to there's lots of benefits you know to the baby to do but not everybody can and i i always kind of get on this weird thing like i never want to make a mom feel like they're less than because you know they ended up not being able to breastfeed because that's never the case you know what i mean that there's a there's a you know I guess a campaign that goes around and says fed is best. And that's true. Fed is best. You know, if you can breastfeed, great. If you don't want to breastfeed, that's also fine. You know, it's whatever is best for you and your child, because I'm not going to lie. It's hard. It is hard because you just come out of nine months of your body, not being your own. And then it's still not your own, you know, and you can't do anything. And pumps hated me and I hated them back. So I just had to pretty much be glued to my child at all times them unless I was like hiding from them sometimes that happened when they got a little older they'd be like looking for me I'd be like I'm not in here but yeah so yeah that's 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 kind of you know there's a lot of you'll see a lot of women downing each other which is kind of sad really because it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's life can be there's there's lots of reasons to why people decide to do the things that they do and if you're not in their life freaking stay out of it
1: (laughs) that's right to each its own
0: exactly so yeah i mean i i'm glad that that she doesn't beat herself up over that because
1: you gotta get over that stuff you do and
0: (laughs) you know what there's benefits to not it's like you know she can leave and they've got a bottle they're still eating you can go do something because you know there's definitely there's pluses and minuses on both ends of that for sure
1: (laughs) yeah for sure
0: so you said you're working on a documentary what's the documentary about
1: it's on the, the Love Hollywood Style. We just found the footage about three months ago of all the... the there was a, a film, another filmmaker friend of mine named David Aura. He found... He was glued to the shoot. He made it his mission to shoot, you know, everything. We got everything. It's a Faye Dunaway when she shot hers. This was right around the time when she was... I don't know if you know Faye Dunaway, her history. I know
0: who she is, but... Yeah.
1: She uh, was yelling at everybody on set. And she did the same on, on ours. And, um... He he was able to shoot everybody but her on the shoot day. We took pictures, but no 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 behind the scenes. But other than that, he filmed this, and this is when I just started my business. I said the business is what helped pay for it. So I'm running this company out of my house, uh, like a a cheap $800 a month rented house in LA, and it was just it was crazy. And we looked at it and I said, this is really you know the documentary. It's called Burning the Boats, mm-hmm. and basically it's about people that choose their Passion and art over over choosing, you know, uh, over opportunity and and uh, and a life, you know. And there's that crossroads that you talked about, right? Yeah, that you can go that way or you can go that way. And I I said, I right. So it's it's a really chaotic, you know, dynamic, you know, making of a film. And we're getting other filmmakers to interlude into the theme, which is you know throwing, you know, going for your, your passion and your dream at all costs and burning the boats to do so. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, what's this main character going to do? Is he going to learn? Is he going to just go down, you know, and, and burn it all, or is he going to, you know, learn from his lessons due to the lowest depths that he went into and decide what to do. And just a documentary about, you know, about that. Passion versus, you know, that's why I can maybe it's always on my head right now. I'm kind of talking about passion versus opportunity.
0: I mean, I, absolutely, and I I don't think that you're ever going to know if you made the quote unquote right decision. I don't even know if there is a right decision because, you know, there's always going to be some level of sacrifice for anything that you do, and you know that's something that I talk about a lot. Just With the idea that I have seven children and I am a business owner, there's a lot of people that have tried to make me feel guilty in the past for working, for going out of town, for doing the things that I do, because for a lot of people, especially I've never been a man. So I can't say how the fellas have it. But for for me and for other women that I've talked with, you know, it's kind of almost expected that once you have children, you're just a mom. You know, you're you're a mom and you put your life on the kind of the the sideline. And that's how I was actually raised. I've seen that from my mom. My mom, I, I don't ever remember her doing anything for herself ever. And, you know, I started out early on thinking that I had to be that same level of martyr to my children until i got divorced actually and when i had to work when i had to give a little more is when i started to realize that there was kind of more out there but I, you know it took me most of my life to kind of figure out my own cadence my own balance and you know i'll probably you'll probably you know if you talk to me 10 years from now i'll probably say well i thought i had to figure it out then but really because we're always learning we're always growing we're always changing and i think that's why you know for me when it comes to those crossroads things you know i, I could have chosen you know, many different times, different, you know, paths. And, you know, there's been times where I've thought about the different paths and what, what it could have been, would have been if I would have chosen the other way. But all in all, I, you know, I love my life. I love where it's at. Um, I've had some hard, hard times in my life, you know, and I, I actually, I, I'll have a book coming out soon. I've, I wrote one book that I'll never publish. Of
1: course you I'll do, never because publish. you don't um, have enough time to, you know,
0: You know, it was a therapy thing for me. And I, you know, when I wrote the first one and I, you know, I actually was going, I had an an artist do the front cover. I was going to publish it. And then I didn't. And I kept waiting and thinking, and I didn't want to publish it because when I was writing that, I was still very much in an angry phase. It's not that my feelings weren't adequate during that time, but I had, had not healed from a lot of things yet, so I was still very angry, and even though I'm glad that I wrote it, and I think it was a big part of helping me finish healing, it'll never be published. It was written just for me, but I'm writing the sequel to the first book that'll never be published from A Place of Healing, so I mean, I think, you know, all in all, when you're talking about that documentary, I mean, that sounds like a story that almost anybody can tell. You know, because whether it's film or it's you know art or it's a business or whatever, you know, there's there's so many decisions we have to make, and we're probably never going to know if it was the right one. We just have to decide that it was right for us.
1: That's right. I, I told whole wholeheartedly agree. I mean, it's just you know, it's just choices and prioritization, and that's all we're left with at the end of the world. You know, is this like you know, is is there a right path? Is is there the perfect person? No, you, you, you make your choice and you make it the best you can. Yeah. I think that's, that's the creed I live by.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, do what you know is best. And sometimes you figure out that there's a better way and you, then you do that. And I think, you know, I think that is just kind of part of growing and changing and, you know, I love that. So when does your documentary come out? Do you know?
1: I'd like to get it done before the end of the year.
0: Okay.
1: I got I got it's so, it's so funny. This is talk about chaotic, Just this week, I've got um, we had a PCI, you know, issue that we're working on with with our our uh, website, so that's getting fixed. Then I have we had a flood because we had a a storm down here. We have a basement, one of the few basements in in our area, in in Central Texas. That got flooded, so I got people here. Then I I got the podcast. Then we got um, there was a couple other things going on, you know, internally, you know, and then. I yeah, I got my that same uh, filmmaker that I told you about that got all the footage. He's like, oh, he just texted me <laughs> and he's like, how's everything going along with the edit? And I was like, oh my God, you know, it's like could you just it's yeah. like <laughs> it's like, could is like you just pile on more shit right yeah. now? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah.
0: That's so, how it goes though. That's how it goes with me. It'll be like really, really smooth for like a hot minute. And I'm actually really suspicious during that time. Like, I'm just waiting. I know it's coming. Yes. I'm like super like, it's like, you're sneaking around. Like you're just waiting. You're just waiting for something to happen. And then it's all like all at once. But I also, a As always, I always expect it. I thrive in chaos. I really do. I figured that out about me and I do. I, I like when it's super calm, I feel like I'm not as, this sounds terrible, but I feel like I'm not as productive if it's like really, really calm. I have to have that like, kind of that medium level of chaos going on. Now, again, we talked about there is that threshold where it's too far. But that middle zone, that's my sweet spot. I'm good there.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, do you – people freak out on me because, like, when things get really bad – because I, I grew up in a very chaotic – to use – let us that's a theme today, chaos. Yeah, it is, it is. It's an extremely chaotic family mm. and um, dysfunctional in many, so many ways. So whenever some – you know, in business, you know, people – have dealt me with the business was like, are you not taking this seriously? Yeah. Do you realize, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've already got, and I've already made three decisions, yep. you know, yep. uh, like, like, but are you not like totally upset that person did that? Or, or what are you going to, aren't you, aren't you serious about this, that we needed to, I'm like, I'm already working on it. I, I'm yeah. like, but you're not upset or you're not, you know, freaked out or I don't have time for that. No,
0: no. And, you know, there's always, there's always a, resourceful way of addressing almost any problem. And I know it's, it's really funny. I grew up in a chaotic family too. And, um, I've been presented with lots of problems in the past and my sister's the same way, actually, because obviously we grew up in the same family that it'll be something people are like ah, freaking out about. And we're like, ah, oh, we got this. And we just kind of like, you know, get to work and fix something. I know before I started in my own company, there was one company, we both worked for the same company and, um, There were several times where it would be a big event supposed to go on, pallets wouldn't arrive, something would be broken, we're over there like duct tape and stuff, and people would be like, how did you think to do this? And we're like, redneck ingenuity. You know, when you grow up, poor, (laughs) you learn to do a lot of things. And I mean, it's just, it's funny, like, I didn't realize for the longest time that my resourcefulness was, you know, kind of rare. Like, I just thought that everybody could be resourceful and just come up with something. Like, I mean, we just knew how to do things because when you can't just like go and buy it or go and do whatever you figure it out and you know but now I look back and my childhood is although it was chaotic in a lot of ways my parents did the best they could and you know I I've got a lot of gifts from the way that I was raised on being able to be more resourceful so you know I think you know much to your point of You know, when people are freaking out, it's like, okay, well, I've been through worse than this. I've survived worse than
1: this.
0: (laughs) Not a big deal. We got this.
1: You know, Iron sharpens iron.
0: Exactly. So it's, I don't know. And I think whenever you are kind of facing this monstrous problem that's going on, you know, a lot of times we try to jump in and just kind of react. And most of the time it's better to kind of sit back for a hot minute and figure out, okay, well, what can I do about this? And a lot of times it's nothing. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. So it's like, okay, well, how do I fix whatever the fallout is from this? And I think sometimes that's the best that you can do. So, you know, I think making sure that we are, you know, proactive and giving ourselves the time. And I think you're frozen again, or you are really gonna hold in the face. <laughs> so anyway, I'll finish my thought. Um I, I lost my thought. It's gone. Stacy, come back. We have to make fun of Michael. He's frozen again. So I actually want to take a picture of this because that's a really good Situation. like I was there you are. You're
1: back. I was there talking you are. again. You were frozen
0: and I was like, I noticed you were making the same face for the last time. I'm like, okay, well you're either I was, frozen. I was talking or... about
1: how you're talking about dealing with, you know, yeah. stress and, 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 and situations. And that's why we're not freaking out that, you know, our video feed paused for a second. Yeah,
0: that's all right. It's, that's all part of it. It just happens. So no, I mean, so let's, let's kind of um, talk about your podcast a little bit. So tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, why did you start a podcast and, what is that about? I know you gave us kind of a little short snippet, but I figure if you tell us why it started, we'll know a little bit more about like what it's about.
1: Well, I've always, you know, like I, I, everything I've done has been people centric, you know, mm-hmm. so wanting to be a stand-up comedian, rule number one for being a stand-up comedian is the rapport of the audience. That's, that's the first thing that you deal with. So, and, and that's why comedians get into it because they want to have a rapport. So that's one thing. Then um, I was a nightclub promoter, you know, and I would go out, like I said, seven nights a week, seven days a week, and I'd meet as many people as possible in person. And I just love people. So I I said, I was sitting down several years back and I was like, man, I wish we can go to a place that's long time, long ago, gone now. Uh, It's called Ben Frank's. And it's a restaurant that was like open 24 seven on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, we'd scroll all the time after the club, like three o'clock in the morning, and really couldn't have those kind of you know great you know, so I said, if I was going to you know what's the closest thing I get to that, It'd be a podcast. So I said, I want to create a podcast that you know, of course it has to do with what the personality is, but I would want to bring the atmosphere, which is basically like those nights at Ben Frank's or um, a movie that i one of my favorite movies called Broadway Danny Rose, where these guys a bunch of old guys are sitting at in a um, in a uh, Carnegie Deli late at night talking about this one guy, Broadway Danny Rose. So I said, you know, that would be the podcast that I would do. I want to do that. You know, I want to have connection again. You know, and um, so that's why I'm doing the podcast, and that's why I, it's the kind of podcast that it is because I'm I've studied personal development, you know, since I was 21 years old. You know, so. Along with all my elements, I thought that would be great to really incorporate those things. I think there's value to that. So stand-up comedy, acting, filmmaking, personal development, entrepreneurship, you know, just try to, and then also having connection with people and telling a story, writing, like writing a story. I try to interview somebody the same way I would write a screenplay, you know, so, um, sometimes I've written eight screenplays. One of them I just wrote, like you wrote your book. I just wrote it for, for me, you know, I said, I got to get this out of my head. Um,
0: So you write screenplays and you direct. See, I don't know a lot about film. Where's that? Do I have a book in here? Yeah, I do. So I have a friend. Do you know Jeffrey Calhoun?
1: That sounds really familiar.
0: He wrote this book. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he's a friend of mine, and I probably want to talk to him. he would be having my show. Smart guy, amazing guy. I've never written a screenplay before. I I actually – I don't know how I still have – friends that are that are in the film industry because I have seen a sad amount of movies I I'm self-diagnosed ADHD and I just don't sit well for (laughs) movies. I don't sit still that long and even though the movies I've watched I enjoy them um I just it's typically not my go-to form of entertainment so anyway point of that is is I had interviewed him started talking to him I've done some marketing work for him on some stuff and I decided to get his book because I was like you know what I was like I want to write a screenplay I know like I couldn't even use screenwriting in a sentence and I'm not actually exaggerating on that. If you look back to the upside with him, I couldn't figure out how to use that in a sentence because I was like, okay, screenwriter screenwriting and he kept correcting me. So I'm like, I'm going to buy your book. I was like, cause I'm gonna write a screenplay and I'm going to give it to you. And if it's a good screenplay, I was like, that would be like the best marketing ever that you can take the clips from where I couldn't even yeah. use it in a sentence. And then I wrote a screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best marketing there is. But anyway, um, it's in a couple of colleges and stuff. They use it, you know, to teach with. But it's supposed to be. It's called the guide for every screenwriter, and it's supposed to be for whatever level. So, and I'm working on that now. So we'll see. I don't know that I'll keep writing in a screenplay. But I did. I love to try new things. Um, I love to try new things, even if I figure out that they're not like, my forever things, I still want to kind of, like, I like going through and checking the boxes. I tried that. I did that. And um, I've never written a
1: screenplay. So that's on my list. Hey, you know what? It's really satisfying. You know, it's a totally, you know, to me, you know, I I started writing a book. And to me, that's really difficult compared, because I I just don't, I know I'm more familiar with the format. So I Mm -hmm. guess, you know, to me, the uh, writing a format for a book, you know, but screenplay is logical, because I've seen so many movies that I've watched, you know, being a filmmaker, you just, You watch movies upon movies, and then you get the rhythm and the format of it, you know. And it's like having a conversation almost, but just objectives that need to be met.
0: Yeah. Well, I know for me, I found it easier with writing my book to put it into thoughts, because at first it was so hard for me because I'm thinking about the entire story, and I was overwhelmed. And I'd sit down, I'm just, you know, all over the place. But then I started sitting down and just, I knew I made kind of bullet points on what I knew I wanted in there. And then I would just take each of those and write on that. And I found that for me, it, you know, kind of breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. Yes. Made it so easy.
1: That sounds good.
0: So just maybe that'll work for you as far as, yeah. like, I don't know what bullet you're writing.
1: Bite-sized and bullet points.
0: Yeah, that's what I would do. So just think about, like, if you have to think about your story as a whole, like, what what are the items that you want in there? And then just take that first one, you know, put it into another doc, and just write on that.
1: And it's so simple, but so true. So, so yeah, element. It's great.
0: It is. Yeah. It it's, it's, it's helps me, because, you know, for me, and what even made me think about it is, you know, a lot of times even in the marketing consulting world, I have people come to me and they know the, all the things they need to do, you know, and it's always super overwhelming. And, you know, the first thing I try to tell them is you don't have to do all the things, you know, if you have an endless amount of money and endless amount of times, obviously you can do all the things, but I don't know anybody that does. So, you know, I usually kind of work with them on a consulting level to break that down. So one day I'm standing there, I was just like staring at the blank page for like the 50th time on this book that I'm writing. And I'm like, why don't I use my own advice that I give my clients and break it down into bite-sized pieces. Forget about the entire picture right now. As long as I've already made my bullet points where it completes the full picture. I only need to worry about this one thing today. This is all I'm worrying about right now. And that helps me because it's not as overwhelming, you know, because if not my mind wanders and I start freaking out about, Oh my gosh, it's going to take forever, you know, or all that stuff. So <sighs> for me, that's worked. So that's, you can try it out and see if it works for you. But what are you writing in your book on?
1: uh it's basically like a um it's like an entrepreneur forward slash um book on my life you know with my my family i wrote this mm-hmm. book called uh forgetting Healdsburg. okay
0: um,
1: my dad was, my dad was an entrepreneur his dad was an entrepreneur uh they they both had you know failed and, um, hopefully I'll have longevity and success. I've, I've been, have, you know, past 20 years been, you know, knock on wood, you know, a, a trajectory of upwardness. So that's good. You know, I think I broke that, you know, so it's kind of like, um, uh, it, 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 I'm trying, I'm jostling between whether it's going to be, you know, uh, it's almost like, a, you know, it's the ADHD. I've taken two drafts and that's why it's so difficult. Uh, I'm like, are you just going to write a book that tells a story, you know, that's, you know, about, you know, this, this crazy person. Cause, I don't know if you ever seen Boogie Nights, but my dad's kind of loosely based on the Burt Reynolds character a little bit. That life, you know, he had crazy mm-hmm. sex parties and 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 his mm-hmm. businesses, would, the rise and fall of it was actually nuts, and and um and many other things about my family. So I said maybe that that would be very interesting, you know, but because you write what you know, so it's yeah. jostling between like you know using that as examples and entertaining at the same time, or just straight up, you know. So I wrote, I started writing two side by side almost like this is the one that's more, you know, you know, kind of like a business, you know, related book. And this one's more just like, you know, cautionary tale book, you know, story. You know, I think, you could,
0: I think you could fit them together. I think there's a way to fit them together.
1: You would probably be the person to talk to you about that because it's a it's a format that I have I don't know enough about.
0: Uh, I think there's a way to fit that together because you th- you think about it, and maybe this is just because this is literally what i teach people is that a lot of times we try to compartmentalize things so much that it's like we have our personal life bucket over here we have our business bucket over here and i did that for the longest time and i was completely wearing myself out trying to make sure this state over here and this state over here but you know life keeps leaking into each other all the time you know life's messy And as much as we try to like gloss over it and show just the pretty parts, it is messy. Everybody's life is messy. You know, from being in marketing, I've done lots of PR for lots of people that, you know, on the front end, you know, they look just completely amazing. Like it's the people you scroll through and like, Oh my God, they got it all together. But I know a lot about the behind the scenes that nobody has it all together. So, you know, to me, when I'm hearing that, I almost think that you can give the cautionary tales in such a way that actually explains your points on the why of the business side of things you're trying to teach. Because, you know, life is messy. And the right. only way that we are we can start to tell other people that it's OK to kind of own their journey and own their messy is if we become OK with telling our parts of it, too. And that was something I had to start doing, you know, and for me, this podcast you know, has been a big part of that and just kind of breaking out because, you know, it's kind of that big, go big or go home. I decided to, 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 not only was I going to stop hiding all the, you know, the messy parts of my life, but I was right. going to start telling them all too. <laughs> so, yes. you know, that's, that's how it's been for me. You
1: know, I, I guess that's why I do what I do because I, I've been in personal development for so long, Listening to like so many, everybody's got to be success. They don't talk about the failures enough to where, and and then say, this is, yeah. they tell it, they tell their their failures to say, look how far I came. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's great. But I would want to hear the failures to talk about, this is the bad choice I made. I was yeah. wrong. And this is how screwed up I was. And this is why I did it. And this is what I did to get out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little different than saying, Oh, I was just, this is, this is how far I came from this, this failure. Yeah. There's two different dynamics there. One's is just sort of like totally owning it and dissecting the failure and then saying, this is what I did to improve it, you know, as to, as to where, you know, and that's what I really think. That's what would really make me learn. And I, and, and that's why I tell stories about that, you know, and I said, like, let's dig into that. And what was the, what was the choice that you made? Everybody's got these choices. And so like you make that choice and you're like, you talked about, you're an entrepreneur. So you get that. that's probably why you yeah. asked that question.
0: Well, and I think it's, I think it's great because, you know, if you, if you are vulnerable enough where you can you know tell somebody, it could be something you, you did then, but even stuff that you do now, because we never have it all the way figured out, quote unquote, you know, it just doesn't happen. You know, we know right. more than we did yesterday, tomorrow, I know more than I did today, you know, but to be able to really be vulnerable enough where you see somebody, you know, making the same mistake or falling in the same, you know, pothole or whatever, and you're able to take their hand in that moment and pull them up. You know, I think there's just something magical about that. But the only way that you can really do that is if you are okay with showing your messy side and that can be hard. I'm not going to sit there and say that it's easy because it's not. It's it is so hard to get to that point because you when you decide to be vulnerable enough that you're showing your messy sides, there's going to be people that that judge you for it. There's going to be people that do not like you. But if you still are able to be yourself, just those few people that resonate with you just because makes it worth it.
1: I, you know, I think that's why, I mean, people might not like, I don't have a problem opening up the wound of myself at all because my mom was like, you know, she, I was the oops kid. Right. And she would, she she would talk to people and she'd be like, she's like, you know, my son he was a mistake but he was the best oh. thing i ever had you know i ran up and down the stairs i smoked i drank you know but he came out you know i'm like mom yeah. they just want to order they want to know if you want blue cheese or ranch just, just yeah. please you know and and that and so i'm used yeah. to telling people like an open vessel especially when you're a comedian the best comedians have to just open up yeah. and have you know so just try not to censor so that's what i try to do with you know long shot leaders i try to like you know try to just be as honest as possible and get them to try to skate that line because people are private but skate the line of, you know, because it's it's good for them too, you know, it's good for somebody to share and get it out there as long as it doesn't hurt their, you know, livelihood or anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think honestly, for, for me personally, it's helped me even in my business because, you know, people know more than you think they do. They know that you don't have it all together. You know, and there's something about being vulnerable that makes you more trustworthy, because if you're not hiding those things, then you're not going to be hiding something else. And, you know, you're able to actually form real trusting bonds, even with your clients and your customers, you know, in such a way that you're not able to you know, in any other way. So, I mean, I know there's times and places I wouldn't walk into a, you know, presentation meeting and be like, okay, well back in, you know, it's not going to go like that, of course, but right. I well, show up rapport, and ask who I am. with the audience. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's, that's you know, rule number one, your report exactly, with the audience.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, there's times and places for everything. I'm a big believer right. in that, but you know, I, if somebody asks me a question, I'm going to answer it the way that I see fit. You know, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to show up as I am. And, you know, I know I'm this crazy, quirky blend of people, but most people are. You know, most people are a blend of different personalities. And, you know, when I first started my business, especially, I thought I had to be this glossed over, you know, perfect version of myself. Well, now I'm a business owner. I'm in marketing. So I better, you know, look the part and show the part. And it was freaking exhausting. It was exhausting. Oh my God. Yes. So it's I don't exhausting to that. try
1: to <laughs> try to be that person. It's like it's so much easier just like, eh, this is a, this is what it is. You know? Yep. Is right. <laughs> right. Well,
0: it, and that's like even like I mean you mentioned that you're like I do not envy actors and actresses at all because I feel like they're under the spotlight so much that every single thing that they do, it's getting you know, unwanted attention and, you know, people have comments and they have judgments. And it's just like, I would not want that you could not pay me enough for that. And it's Especially just- it, now it's gotten worse
1: in time. Oh my gosh. It used to be a yeah. lot easier.
0: So yeah, I don't know like why, like, I think there's this level where, mm-hmm. I guess where they're on the big screen that you forget that they're actually real people that also have messy parts of their life and also don't want- you know, to put on real clothes to run down to the grocery store or also, you know, whatever. And that you forget that there's this, this, this other layer of them that really should be able to be personal. And it's kind of unfortunate that they aren't, they're not allowed to have that.
1: Right. Hey, where are you from?
0: I am outside of Cincinnati, Ohio.
1: Is that where you're born and raised?
0: No, I was, well, I was born in Ohio. I was born in actually Canton, Ohio. Across from the Football Hall of Fame, my dad likes to tell me that I used to be a football coach, so that was always a big thing. You were born right across from the Football Hall of Fame. I'm like, all right. So, um, and then I actually grew up in Tennessee, though.
1: Oh, so, what part of Tennessee?
0: Clinton, Tennessee. So on the eastern part, near um, Oak Ridge, Knoxville, Pigeon Forge area, like Norris yeah. Lake. Most people know Norris Lake. So. Oh, Knoxville. Where, okay, so that's that's where I grew up. I grew up there, and I lived there up until I graduated, and then I moved to. Ohio, back to my parents grew up in Ohio when I moved back here. So, and I'm just, I'm kind of like, I have a love hate relationship with Ohio. I mean, it is, it's, it's, I love parts of it. Like, I live in a super small area and I am big on, you know, small communities and rural, rural living and, um, you know, helping to build back some of these. I'm looking out the window as I'm talking here, building back these small little towns that, you know, there's nothing but empty buildings. That's what I'm sitting in right now is an old bank that we've been renovating to turn into a business hub and, you know, to be able to teach workshops and stuff in these small communities because they're just dying out. And, you know, I love going to the city and I have clients in the city. And, you know, I I, but I my my heart's actually in these tiny little towns. And you mentioned early on that you're a fan of the underdog. And I say that all the time. I'm a fan of the underdog. And I also am the underdog. And so there's just something about these tiny little towns where it's just it's literally just the area of the underdog that I'm, I just want to dive in and kind of help them become more. So it's kind of, it sounds cheesy, but it is
1: what it is. <laughs> well, speaking of, I mean, I really, I want you on my show because you got to tell your story. You got to talk about, Absolutely. you know, I know everybody wants to talk about your seven kids and all that, but, it, but it's your businesses, it's the kids, it's, you know, where you're from and, and, and your whole story is, seems fascinating to me. I think there's a, there's a great, you know, uh long shot underdog story there, you know, and I, and I think they'll give a lot of people value. I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'm, I, I, there's through our conversation here today, I'm like, well, Mike, she wants, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to ask more questions, you know, <laughs> so I got a <laughs> lot of questions for right, you. Know, I would fun. love to tell your story.
0: That, that would be great. I would really enjoy that. But right now, what I want you to do though is let everybody know where they can find you, where they can kind of keep up with your, pro- all the things that you do, you know, where's the best place to find you. And then also, um, let them know, you know, the name of your podcast and where they can listen.
1: Okay. Well, they can find me at longshotleaders.com. And that's where Maria Daniels is going to be on the show soon. And uh, you can just catch all, you know, everything's right there. If you just go to longshotleaders.com, you'll see where the episodes, you know, we can check out the episodes, check out my social stuff. Um, and uh, all of my social stuff will you know tell you everything that I'm doing right now, you know, as far as, Everything's connected, you know, as far as my regular business and you know the film business and and I'm doing stand-up here in Georgetown, Texas, in uh, was it August? So you know a lot of the you know anything you want to know, but go to longshotleaders.com and check out our website, our website and our podcast, and and uh, and about, hopefully in about a, about a month from now, you'll be seeing Maria Daniels episode oh, coming right. up.
0: Perfect. I think that's perfection. And make sure you get, yeah, make sure you go check that out and follow, subscribe, all the things. And would you you be making an announcement when your um, documentary is out and everything? Oh, yeah.
1: We'll be doing a full campaign. Well, the first thing to do is, you know, we want to enter it into some select um, documentary film festivals. There's some really great particular for documentary film festivals, you know, and try to get, you know, that that before it even you know distributed, you know, that's that's the route. Go to the film festival route and then see if we can get it, you know, sold, Netflix and all that. But first the film festival is by the end of the year. So we want to finish by the end of the year and have them submitted to the film festivals by the end of the year. Then you got a whole year of like film festivals and then, you know, maybe, you know, Netflix comes along or Prime or those people come along and then they um they'll buy it.
0: I wish you well with that. You have to keep me posted on how that goes. It's exciting. I have friends that do film festivals and all that, but that I'm completely like I don't know anything on that. That's <laughs> not my jam. I've never been in that. It's intriguing. Um, I, you know, I guess I never until I made these friends that that you know also do films. I guess I never realized the amount of work that goes into it. I mean, I guess I knew, but I really didn't know. It's 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 like anything else. You know, you see somebody go through all the processes and it really allows you to appreciate, you know, what goes into something. And I think that right. could be said for anything. Cause I've even watched, like I have a friend who is an artist and she works on paintings for months upon months upon months. And, you know, I'm not a painter. So I know, ne- I guess I never thought about, you know, how long it takes just to create one piece, you know, and it, it gives you a kind of a, appreciation for just, you know, the commitment because you mentioned commitment earlier and that that kind of stuff does freak me out too. Like I am like, I, I freak out about that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> Filmmaking is really intensive. You know, that's why, you know, right after I did the, my, this film, this crazy film uh, called Love Hollywood Style, that's why I said, you know what, I just want to go back to doing stand up because I have, you know, things I want to talk about and I could just grab a microphone and go up and talk to a, a crowd of people.
0: Yeah. You can just make jokes and see that would be more in my alley. Well, unless I had to be planned. So here's the thing, I always said, ooh, I would like to do coffee. That'd be fun. Because I've done little stupid little improv things, but I thought everybody improved. I, I was ignorant. I didn't realize you wrote it all down and then you have to follow a script. So then I was out. I was like, never mind. I don't like scripting. I can't do scripts.
1: For really, for a stand-up?
0: Yeah, that's what I was told.
1: Well, yeah, the, uh, the, the way to do the proper way, you know, the most, what most, whether they know it or not, or, or, you know, and they'll, they'll get their material. Everybody, every comedian is different, but like all the comedians that you probably like Rob Williams or Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy, yeah. they'll have a set objectives and set, you know, material and punchlines, you know, premises and punchlines, but stories, but they'll, what they'll do is, is that they'll, they'll learn it, you know, they'll set it and then they'll forget it. So then you're, once again, the rapport of the audience. so you'll be, you're in the moment. So you have your set. It's a set. You know what you want to talk about, and you're talking about it, and you're telling their story, unless you know of course, different comedians like Stephen Wright, who's like the one liner guy, you know or has, has structured jokes, he doesn't talk about, you know, but usually you know if somebody drops a glass, you got to get into that. Oh, yeah. you know, or somebody you know says something and starts, you know, you got to get into that. so it's there is a set set that you do. Yeah. But um, it's not like, let's say, a screen a script, you know, where you're acting. That would be, that's totally different. And that's what I love about stand-up because there's, it's, it's not some. And like Robin Williams, I've seen him perform at the Improv. He'll, he'll do um, the Improv in L.A. He'll, he'll do 45 minutes of set material. You know, it's set material. And then it, I was like, okay, what else can we talk about? And 45 minutes of just improv, and it's just as good.
0: Yeah. Wow, probably, Williams was a uh, definitely a special special person i I think he was super talented, so yeah, it's um it's a, it's a shame that we've lost so many good people like that, but yeah, I mean, I think as far as you know com, you know comedy goes I, I i I've been to a lot of comedy shows I, I I like those a lot, but I don't know that I could do that.
1: who's one of your favorites? Lot, too
0: much. Oh gosh! Well, you named my favorites. Like I've always, I always liked Robin Williams. Always liked Eddie Murphy. I liked Richard Pryor. Um, yeah, Rushmore
1: of comedy, right there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, I, I like the the oldies but the goodies. I don't know. I mean, I've I've seen some, you know, newer comedians, and I mean, they're they're fine. It's not that they're they're not good, but I just like I, I end up watching. Like I'll still watch some of the old ones. I have no problem watching reruns of stuff like that. You know, just nice. it's just as funny. I laugh just as hard, even though I know what they're getting ready to say. You know. So but yeah, I think that that I really admire the work that goes into even just putting on any type of a show like that. So I think it's pretty amazing. So where are you going to be performing? Is it something people are buying
1: tickets to barrels, barrels and amps here in Georgetown, Texas. So that'll okay. be in August. Uh, I have not even told them I would perform there, but I'm, I don't think it'll be hard to get on. yeah <laughs> I just. Surprise! i mean i don't think uh, (laughs) that's the thing you know you get to you know when you're starting out you're like i but i know i'll be able to uh to perform there if i wanted to oh
0: yeah
1: not that i'm a star or anything like that but i've i got the chops for that to perform there can't do that at the improv or there's comedy store i'm like well i gotta you know i've been to funny bone there's
0: i don't know if there's funny bones in texas
1: but i've been to the funny bone quite a bit okay i don't know that's in austin
0: uh, no, I didn't go in Texas. I went, there's one in Cincinnati. Well, actually it's in Newport, right across the river from Cincinnati, Newport, okay. Kentucky. I, I think it's a chain though, but I don't know if it's just on the East coast. I don't know. I have never actually even been to Texas. So quite nice. I, I've heard, I've heard it's nice. It's kind of on, I, there's several places that are on my list to go visit in Texas. Is one. Of, I almost went to Texas because I actually have a client there and, um, like they were wanting me to fly in for something, but then COVID hits, so and I have just been doing everything Zoom, but I'll probably end up visiting it at some point. But and if I do, and you're doing a show, I'll come watch you and I will clap. So, well,
1: we'll thank you so much. I no appreciate problem. it. So, so I'm, it's been, I, I wanted to say, you know, because I got to go tend to stuff, but I wanted to yeah. thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Thank you for for being on the show. This has been a blast, and I feel like I could talk for another hour, but we do need to go because people are probably like, "Okay, Maria." So, um, and and my editor, whenever they try to uh, you know make this to be able to put on the podcast, he's gonna be like. He's always like, you always go so far over. And I'm like, you know what? I, am, I don't like rules. I am a rebel. And I yeah. talk the amount of time. It could be like 30 minutes sometimes. It's an hour and something sometimes. I am who I am. So, but know, it's been a blast. And for all of you who are watching and listening, make sure you go check out Michael's podcast. Keep in touch with him on social media and all the things. And when this posts, I'll make sure that we put all the links to all the things in the show notes. And again, Michael, thank you so much for being on today.
1: Thank you so much.